2: You can hear a lot of the uh, minor league activity of Michael Jordan at Kurt Bloom's website. The longtime voice of the Birmingham Barons is with us now on the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line on one oh one ESPN. Just go to Kurt bloom.com and you can hear that Michael's home run at the minor league level and a lot of other great Michael Jordan material with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. Kurt Bloom. It's a pleasure to have you with us here in St. Louis. How are you doing this morning?
0: Well, check is in the mail, my friend. Uh, that's, Yeah, it was awesome. Um, Yeah, doing great. Fantastic. And when I first, you know, got this set up, remember this, and I'm a New York native, but there is no better baseball city in the world than the one I'm on in in right now with you guys in St. Louis. It is is number one, top of the charts, and uh, I I don't know how that city is surviving without the cards and the blues at the same time, but Uh, I'm doing well. I hope your city and and, uh, your families are doing great as well.
1: Kurt, it's been rough here without sports, let me tell you. (laughs) But the the last dance certainly has helped ease the pain slightly, at least on Sunday nights. But uh, first question for you, minor league baseball has a certain pace to it. You know, there's a certain uh, way that the crowd is. There's a certain way that the pace of the game is. It's very different than major league baseball. And you're there in Birmingham, the Birmingham Barons. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes the biggest global superstar and Michael Jordan as a member of the team. Can you just talk about how the energy at the ballpark changed when Michael Jordan came to town?
0: Yeah, there were a few words, Michelle, that were banned after because we used them so often. (laughs) That was buzz. You know, you can't use the, oh, quite a buzz, and you couldn't use the word circus, you know. And Tito Francona set the pace. Um, And he's the one that said, you know, enough of these words. But like no other season, as you can imagine, by 2 o'clock, it was on. And you're five hours away from a game. But by 2 o'clock, you're wondering, is there going to be an actor? Talk about celebrity, um, singer. Uh, You know, who is who's going to be there tonight? Um, The game became secondary. You know, I don't I don't think we we knew scores. I don't think we knew uh, standings or anything along those lines. That was us. Michael, of course, cared about all of that. Uh, But it was really at two o'clock every day, a buzz that that we knew would not be repeated. And, you know, here I am 26 years later, uh, two o'clock now, I'm still prepping, uh, beginning my prep for a game, uh, let alone, you know, wondering if if Michael's going to do something, if he's going to, you know, may have that spectacular moment.
2: We saw last night the media sitting in the section and Michael on a stool above the dugout. Was it like that every day?
0: for the first three months, Randy, it was Uh, April, May, June. um, And that would be about in in the minor leagues. Again, we have a split season Uh, like that every day, every city, every place we went to, I think slowed, uh, things started slowing down sometime July or August, but uh, it was a crush. And and how we handled it, what we did uh, once per series, Michael had a press conference. And uh, he still had a lot of NBA contacts, so they obviously had their access. But when we went to the Memphises of the world, Orlando, uh, Zebulon, North Carolina, uh, all those places, just one shot, one day in, here it is, get it all out after BP, um, and that was it. There were really no one-on-ones. And and that didn't stop, like I said, until probably mid-second half, July-ish.
1: Kurt, how would you have described Michael Jordan as a baseball player?
0: Promising. I think that's the first word that comes to my mind is, Michelle, it's easy in this day and age to look at batting average um, and say, oh, he only hit 202. But, you know, his athleticism is, is obvious. His speed is obvious. And he, as an outfielder, I thought he was more than adequate. So, I, I, you know, we were all robbed that he stopped and he stopped only because baseball was on strike uh, and, and had a lockout in 95. Uh, I think what would have happened, he would have went to Nashville the following year and then up to Chicago as a fourth or fifth outfielder. It, I know it was easy to, 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 use that phrase. Oh, it's a joke and it's terrible and this, that, but it wasn't. And nor was he, he, he worked tremendously hard to become somebody and something. And it was a lot of fun. And I, I really thought he had a chance. Kurt Bloom,
2: the voice of the Birmingham Barons, with us on 101 ESPN. What was the most impressive ascent that he had? Uh, you mentioned that he hit 202, Kurt. And last night, Tito Francona mentioned on the show that he drove in the 51. He stole 30 bases. W- what was the most impressive thing that he got better at, as far as you're concerned?
0: Well, the whole at-bat and the whole approach um, was really fun to watch. It, it we, we saw what it was like in April. It was just really, here's a fastball, hit it then breaking balls about six weeks into the season, and then the adjustment, okay, and then the mental and physical adjustment to finish strong. The the one number to me, if I can steal another number that's still extraordinary, is the three home runs. And you can ask Kerber because Kerber's broadcast with me from Hoover Met. And I'll tell you what, that is one of the hardest ballparks that I've ever been in to hit home runs. It's really huge. And the ball doesn't carry And for him to hit three home runs, guys, he didn't – that was not a fluke. This was not wiffle ball. I mean, guys were throwing 91-mile-an-hour fastballs at him and curveballs and sliders. And, you know, I've been with guys who have played baseball their entire year and haven't had a three-homer season, but he did. I I just think that we underestimate the magnitude of that.
1: Kurt, one of the things that was talked about last night in the doc as far uh, in reference to Michael's baseball career was the fact that his work ethic was off the charts, how he was in the cage three times a day, including practice and working out at different times. I can't imagine him having that schedule and then having all of the media there and then having all of the different things that he needs to do, the, the other team workouts he needs to get in. So they talk about Michael Jordan's legendary competitiveness, his work ethic. What was that like for you to witness that up close?
0: Uh, a privilege and again a treat you know i knew every day michelle that that was something special and, and i knew it wouldn't last forever um there's also a part of me that i have been working personally hard to get to that level now not not michael jordan level but to get to that big league level so i also had to make sure that i i kept it in perspective but that's all true um especially on the road it was a van, a bus, a taxi, or the, the opposing general manager provided him and our hitting instructor, Mike Barnett, with transportation to get there. And I tell you, it's funny because there's a, there's been a time before and after where I did what the team did. You know, I, I went to weights. Uh, I, I was shagging fly balls. And I did that for a couple of years. And then I realized as I got older, I said, my God, I am worn out. And it's not even, it's not even the first pitch yet. So, <laughs> you know, his, his legendary work ethic and his athleticism, it all helped him. I think the guy can go th- 23 and a half hours a day without, you know, without needing a sleep or, or, or a nap or anything like that.
2: You mentioned the bus, and we've heard the story about how he provided better transportation for the team,
0: right? Well, remember this, and it's going to have its own story and its own 30 for 30. He never bought the bus, and I hate to pop the bubble for (laughs) anybody who thought he did. Um, His name helped arrange a lease, and all we did is get a newer bus. And so anything new is a toy. And back in 1994 in the Southern League, you had, I guess we now call them cheese wagons, and uh they they were just horrible uh the the smell the sound and and you didn't know if you'd make it from city to city and i can't tell you how many times i pulled over on a highway at three o'clock in the morning you know just thinking is this really happening um but it was new and like tito said it was painted like the partridge family (laughs) but it it had a legend it had its own um it it, had its own life to it you know it's it's really neat I'm, i'm waiting for a movie or a documentary or even a Twitter account, um, thejordancruiser.com, you know, something along those lines.
1: (laughs) Can't wait for that. Kurt, was it difficult for people within the organization or on the team to not treat him like a superstar, at least early on? I know once he was there for a while, he kind of ingrained himself into the group there. But I can't imagine what it's like for people that are there who are just used to their daily lives and then all of a sudden, here comes Michael Jordan, and you want to treat like he's just a member of the team, but that had to be difficult to do at times.
0: Well, we had two incredible leaders, and anything successful starts from the top, whether it's 101.1 in in ESPN in St. Louis, or it's the Blues, Cardinals, whoever it is, but it starts at the top. In our case, we had two incredible leaders, our president general manager, Bill Hartikoff, who set the pace for front office guys and me, part of the front office as a broadcaster, and with Tito Francona running the clubhouse and Tito addressed everybody in spring training and said, look, you know, we're we're going to treat Michael Jordan as if he was Kevin Coglin, Scott Tedder, Chris Snowpack, or anybody else. And so when you have great leadership like that, it set the pace. it set the tone. I personally sat down with Bill. I sat down with Tito. They gave me instructions on how to handle it. And, you know, it, it leads me in, and I'll, I'll, shorten this version of it, but it, it, it's why I didn't interview him myself until late in August, because I, I thought it was my job to facilitate and let everybody else. And I say this again, Michelle and Randy, I've been in baseball. This will be my 33rd year. And I still believe there'll be some baseball somewhere. I have not come across a combination of a front office and a field manager that could have pulled it off like we did. And I know that's a bold statement. I stick by it. And more importantly, I'm very proud of that.
2: Kurt Bloom, voice of the Birmingham Barons, great insight. We really appreciate you taking some time with us today. And hopefully we do have baseball and you get a chance to call some this year.
0: I hope so. And thank you again for what you guys are doing. We call it grinding in the business. Um, My hats are off to the talk shows of America that are trying to come up with content in this time. I hope you all stay uh, safe and healthy. And uh, the the loss of John Davidson to your city has been been the gain uh, to the New York Rangers organization (laughs) and my home in my hometown. So let's go Blues and go Cards and and go Barons at the same time. Thanks for having me and have a wonderful day.
2: You too, Kurt. Thank you very much. That's Kurt Bloom, the veteran voice of the Birmingham Barons, with us on one hundred and one
0: ESPN. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently